Welcome to Human Leadership, a podcast full of science-backed and practical knowledge and insight, designed to help anyone who leads people unleash the human talent we need for the next era of work. I'm Suzanne Jacobs, an organisational behaviour and performance expert, who's worked as part of senior leadership teams for over 30 years and conducted more than a decade of research into the neurobiological drivers of intrinsic motivation and trust. In each episode of Human Leadership, I'll take you through what you'll need to make your workplace human fit. And to help me along the way, I have roped in my sister, Chloe, a brilliant educationalist who also knows just a thing or two about leadership. And together, we'll guide you through everything you need to know to become a better human leader. In this episode, we're going to talk about calm. Why it's vital to know yourself, how our experiences shape the world we see around us, and how we can change our minds to change our experience, boosting resilience, performance, and well-being. Hey, Chloe. Hey, how are you? I'm extremely good. How are you on this extremely fine day? Well, I, I'm actually quite excited. I'm going off for a beautiful walk with my gorgeous puppy, Millie. Um, and it's, I'm just so fortunate to have the Devonshire countryside on my, on my doorstep. And uh, it, yeah, it's just beautiful. And we've got a lovely walk um, that is not flat. It's very much up and down because uh, Devon doesn't seem to have flat uh, flat roads. But uh, yeah, very excited. So after this, I'm off for a gorgeous walk. Sounds very lovely. Now, this episode is all about calm. Why is this such an important concept in human leadership? Oh, it's 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 so important. But if I just start by saying that if you're in a frontline leadership position you account for up to 70% of the variance in uh, the employee employee engagement around you. Um, So in other words, what that's really saying is that leadership is the main component of what your team, the people in your workplace experience from work. And, And it's that energy and the environment that you create around you that directly affects how well the team perform and actually how um and their well-being as well um i remember years ago a um a brilliant leader i will never forget her um she used to say to me you can delegate stress or you can delegate calm and you know we we look upwards to get cues about how to act how to fit in social norms what the expectations are so Leaders cast, as they say, a really long shadow. Yeah, so I, yes, I, I totally agree. That has really made me think. So basically the fundamental part of leadership is actually really knowing yourself and how you project yourself. Completely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's leader know thyself. Leadership fundamentally um, is about emotional intelligence, it's an emotional intelligence is uh, self-awareness, our ability to be able to regulate our emotions. It's how we show up and how people experience us. 
and it's also having an awareness of others um, which is which is social awareness but we have to start with ourselves first it's about being able to put on our oxygen mask first before we can help others and what part of that is to really be able to see inside as much as we possibly can into ourselves so that we can support others in the way that which we show up. I mean, one of the questions that I was asked a long time ago is just to think about why why would others follow you? Why would they follow you? What do they get from you? And I think that's really, really important because what's really fascinated me in terms of all the research I've done is I can see that we've built quite rational businesses so what what I mean by that is that emotions are still not fully embraced as our core human operating system. Um, but actually, every decision we make, every communication we make is all emotionally driven. Emotions are our primary driver. And just to bring that to life, Antonio Damasio, who's a neuroscientist, professor of psychology, philosophy and neurology at the University of Southern California, He worked with a very senior lawyer who unfortunately had a brain tumour. Now, the the surgery that this individual went under was successful. It was in his prefrontal cortex. So it was in uh, the space of our rational thinking, our executive decision making. And although it was successful and he remained as an individual with very high IQ, there'd been a lesion or, or a or a cut, if you like, between his prefrontal cortex, so the rational part of his brain, and the emotional centre of his brain. And when Damasio worked with him, because what was finding is he lost his job, he lost his livelihood, he, he couldn't make decisions, he couldn't carry out his work anymore. So he got some insight into this when he asked this individual a simple question, when should we make our next appointment? Now, this lawyer with his hugely high IQ, he could absolutely provide all the pros and all the cons for all the dates over the next two weeks. But what he couldn't do was work out what was best. His emotional centre had been cut off from his rational brain. So that gut instinct, that wisdom that we have around rationalising our decision, but knowing actually which path to take, he didn't have that anymore. It's that, as I said, it's that gut sense. It's the link between our long-term experience and that sort of felt sense that we got about what what we need to do. The thing is, we need our rational brain, absolutely, but we need both our rational and our emotional intelligence to be able to find the best path. Yeah, yeah. And so many leaders we often hear about don't necessarily seem to have a high um, emotional intelligence more of a sort of an autocratic charisma scale. Do you think this style of leadership is still one that we need? Well, I think it's a really good question, actually, when we think about leadership. And I'm talking a lot about emotional intelligence here. And there there are actually times and places for, for all different styles of leadership. That, I mean, let's take the autocratic leader. It, it, incredibly useful in a life and death situation, for example, Um, perhaps on a military field, and the charismatic or hero leader that we often see um, in the media and can become extremely famous, they're the individuals that can really drive a vision and they create 
a sense, particularly in the short term, of that sense of vision and direction. And, you know, these people really create movements that can change the world. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, Mandela, Martin Luther King, but they can also be the most dangerous. So let's just flip that on the other side and think Hitler, Mussolini, Manson. These individuals, these charismatic or autocratic or, or a mixture of both individual leaders, particularly in the workplace, see they're the ones that they don't create the conditions for human thriving. They don't create the conditions for psychological safety, for trust. In fact, they are the exact opposite of what uh, George Corisa called a secure base leader. And actually, there's a real human cost to their leadership style. A secure base leader balanced that sense of care with encouraging a sense of daring as well, a safe space to be able to take risks. Um, They provide a mixture of calm and a mixture of acceptance and clarity. Um, They nurture intrinsic motivation. and, And all of this really unleashes potential and s- sustains well-being at the same time. And, and just to sort of follow on from that as well, in terms of what we're talking about here, in terms of, of calm and emotional intelligence, Jim Collins, whose research has identified two concepts in really successful CEOs. So these are humility and an intense professional will, or, or, or sort of like a drive, really, these are these are people who can show the path really clearly, but also have an understanding of the impact on others, who pushes forward whilst listening to others. They're not self-serving. Because ultimately you can have you can have the best product in the world, you can have the best state-of-the-art office systems, but ultimately you only get real sustainable success through people. And emotional intelligence provides steadiness. It's the ability to emit calm that in turn settles all the brains around that leader. It is not the hot and cold leader. In fact, calm leaders are rarely make rush decisions uh, or verbally attack or compromise their values. Um, they take personal accountability and, and empathy itself, which is underneath this, allows you to really understand the impact. And for me, leaders need, as part of their core role, is that of communicator and connector to build social capital so that we can build workplaces where everyone can be and bring of their best. And, and all of this, all of these skills takes emotional intelligence. I totally agree with you. Um, you were saying about emotional intelligence and its uh, and its impact, and I remember how you told me that a crucial factor of emotional intelligence is our experiences and how we interpret our world. So, how do we actually see our world? Yeah, it's a really good question because actually, how we see our world and the events and the others in it is unique to us. How we interpret our world through our brain's perception, is our reality. And it's as unique to us as our fingerprints. So 
just going back to the fundamental principle of a principal job of, of our brain, I mean, obviously it does a huge amount of, of jobs, but it's really there for our survival. That's its primary role. And in order to make sense of the world, it files away all our experiences, everything we've learned, everything we've literally experienced in terms of events and others through our lives. And it creates, if you like, a sort of a filing system in our in our head. And we obviously don't have a filing cabinet in our head, but if, if you can imagine that. And, and everything's filed away in um, sort of order of, of threat and safety. So, you know, at some point in my, my life, I learned that a, a chair on its own is pretty benign. It's not going to hurt me. It's not going to get up. It's, it's safe. And most of the time I'll just, my brain will have clocked it, but I will, I will consciously, I'll ignore the chairs that are around me. But there'll be a lot of things in my threat category and for many, it's things like um, presentations, dentists, you know, and, and actually it's all about, it's not even that we have to necessarily experience it. It's what we learn as well through perhaps the media or what others have told us about their experiences. And we file these all away so that in the present, our brain can pattern match and predict what's going to happen next based on our past experiences. So it pulls out the file that matches best to the experience we're having right now. But the thing is, is that whilst this interpretation process is incredibly quick, it's, it's under the radar, and what I mean by that, it's, it's subconscious, it sends up the information through our thoughts and our emotions, and, and these are the stories that our files tell us that then direct our behaviour. It tells us what's going on, if you like. But because our neurology was built for a different age and how we have and what we experience and how we filed it, it doesn't mean to say that that interpretation, those stories are always correct or actually even helpful. That They're the basis of our beliefs, our rules about how we live our lives. They're also the basis of our biases but we've got to be able to tune in to hear them so that we can actually just know whether they're actually giving us something that's helpful or even valid and correct. So if we can learn more about ourselves and how we experience the world, is it possible to change the way our minds work and improve our leadership capability? Yeah, it's fundamentally about being able to sort of lift the lid, if you like, and to start to peer inside um, our minds or our mind's eye if you like and this is really what self-awareness is or emotional literacy so we'll, we'll talk we talk a lot more about social awareness when we we talk about connection in in, in a later podcast but one of the areas around self-awareness and getting underneath the surface of our thinking to be able to hear the stories is that when we start to hear the stories we realize that our worst enemy can actually reside between our ears. And what it tells us, what it says to us, can really get in our way and it can limit our choices just because of how we filed away experiences. So there's a lot of proven tools in the ebook that, that accompanies this. But you're, you're right. Ultimately, what we can do is we can change our files. In other words, we change the interpretation. 
And therefore, we change our perception and our reality, our thoughts, our emotions and our behavior. We change our relationship to the events that come along. Um, and we can do that through a process of, of neuroplasticity. I mean, literally to, to change and re-sculpt our brain, if you like. Actually, let me bring this to life for you. Okay, so can you think of, I don't know, any experience, any event where you, it really caused a level of anxiety? You, you, it, was a, it wasn't necessarily something that went wrong as such, but it was something that in the lead up to it, you uh, had a real sense of um, trepidation to it. Oh, this this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Um, it was actually collecting my degree certificate, um, and like when you get your degree, you have a you have your your ceremony to go and get it. And we we had to walk up some steps onto a stage, and walk along the stage, collect the certificate, and then walk down the steps. And it's all been signposted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I don't, I don't actually remember getting my certificate because all I had in my brain was what if I fell up the stairs or what, what if I was the one that fell down the stairs on the stage? You know, I was wearing a gown and, and with big sleeves and et cetera and, you know, with, with the hat on as well. And I was, it was ridiculous. I just got into, it, what if my hat falls off and then I bend down to get it and I fall over my gown? It, it was, yeah, it was crazy. So, so it's really interesting that you call it ridiculous and crazy, as, even as you look back on the event. So let me just let me just examine it because what I want to do is to sort of normalise what your brain was doing there through what I like to call ants. So these are automatic negative thinking. So in the run up to getting that degree certificate, you were saying that your thinking was, "What if I?" tripped over my gown what if I dropped my hat and I fell off the stage yeah is that right yeah yeah fell up the stage <laughs> fell up the, the stairs yes okay was- let's, let's <laughs> take the thinking a little bit further okay so let's let's pretend that happened so if you fell off the stage what would that mean oh my god I, I was it, the, I was just so, so embarrassed I feel it now I've got hot um embarrassed people laughing at me um then going oh typical Chloe um and I just just well I'm an idiot just thinking I would be an idiot so we've gone from falling down falling off the stairs or the stage uh you got really embarrassed everybody's laughing at you typical Chloe and I'm such an idiot now that's really interesting isn't it so you're collecting a degree certificate and, and I know the level of degree that, you know, you were collecting and it was an amazing achievement. But in that split second, you also called yourself an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, yeah. Yeah. But what, what was happening there was it, this is your brain. So it's your brain. And do you remember, actually, do you remember actually receiving the, the certificate? No. I was so concentrating on just getting up the steps walking along the stage, going down the steps on the other side. I was then focusing the steps on the other side. Um, yeah, no, I, to be honest, I, I don't, to be honest, at all. And who was sitting up there to give the degree and and the, the speeches that were given? I just, uh, this is what I remember about my uh, my getting my degree. Yeah, but yeah I, and uh, you can literally take yourself back there. So, okay, so let's just check out those thoughts. Um, so, Chloe, you had, what if I 
drop my hat and I fall over my gown and fall off the stage. Um, how how many stages have you fallen off, Chloe? None. No. No. So no evidence then. Okay. So let's take it a bit further. So so if you had fallen off and people were laughing and you were embarrassed and you're calling yourself an idiot, if if it was a friend who was collecting a certificate and she or he had fallen off the stage, what would you be saying or doing or thinking about them? Oh, I'd 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 be so worried for them and um wanted to go and help and get them up and help them get their degree. Yeah, exactly. Would you call them an idiot? Oh, good grief, no. Maybe um, afterwards down the pub when we can giggle together, but no, not at all. And that's the difference, isn't it? You'd giggle together, not at the person. And and that's the thing, isn't it? So So your mind's taking you from, what if I fall off the stage to I'll be so embarrassed. That means people will laugh at me. It means um, that they'll think it's typical me and I'm such an idiot. So this, this, this thought process actually stopped you really experiencing the situation itself. In other words, g- gathering your certificate. And the, the, these, are, these are the thoughts that are coming up. These are the signals because your brain was understandably, you know, in a, in a, heightened state of alert you know you're about to get your degree it's a big deal big ceremony but just because it's throwing up these thoughts this story about how it's predicting what's about to happen and this catastrophizing just because that's what our thoughts say it doesn't mean that we have to listen to them or choose to act on them and the methods in the the ebook detail this emotional navigation and and the tool that's in there but the key here is really to normalize that thinking to be able to see it and to be able to navigate navigate around it if it's unhelpful to really get to know yourself and to strengthen your leadership and it's not about recriminating yourself for saying this stuff we all say it. We all, you know, kick ourselves from time to time. We all are very good at what ifing. It's actually an incredibly powerful survival technique. But we just need to decide whether we want to act on it or not. And our emotional center is is incredibly strong. You know, we're rewarding, we're rewarded by our brains being right, even if they're wrong. But if we follow it through, it wants to be right because if it isn't right, if there's a different interpretation here, there's no file for it. So that unrocks everything. You know, your brain just really doesn't like to be wrong. And when we're starting to question our files, when we're starting to reorganize our files for something that's more helpful, it can be, you know, quite effortful. And it really does take practice. But we really can. We can really change our minds to change our experience of what we see and how we experience our worlds. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Human Leadership in your podcast app. And if you have time, leave us a review or give us a rating. If you'd like to find out more about the subjects we discussed in this episode and access 
all the tools, you can do so in the Little Book of Calm, part of the Human Leadership series of eBooks available through my website, theseven.org.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with me about any of the subjects, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email using Suzanne at theseven.org.uk and that's Suzanne with an S and not a Z.